Hi, guys. Welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another cool day. It is a very special day because uh, it is, uh, I'm so blessed nowadays after eight years in recovery and after working every day to make my life a little bit better, to become the better human that I aspire to be, that I I wake up and, okay, I rub my eyes like everyone else, but by now, a little bit of coffee goes a long way. There's a clarity in my head. There is a passion in my heart. There's a joy of living there that was so foreign that I had no clue that I could have one day. So that's me now, and I'm all excited about it. But there's so many other people um, around me who are constantly living in a fog and are constantly living maybe not as the best versions. Yet, they have actually changed their lifestyle. They are no longer drinking. They are no longer uh, maybe eating the trash that they have been doing. They're doing everything that they think, well, I should be doing. And yet, life is still shit with them. And, and because of their own, own physical state is not right. So what the hell is going on? And there's one hidden cause of that that so many of us uh, don't realize. And I have got a special guest on. I've got Spencer Zimmerman. Spencer is a man who has made it his passion and his, his, his reason of getting up uh, to actually uh, look more behind the scenes, uh, scratch the surface, figure out what the hell is really going on in, in so many of us. So, Spencer, welcome to my show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and to talk to your audience. Cool. Uh, it is so, so common. I mean, for crying out loud, my wife at the moment, uh, she's going through that phase where she is just, God, it is, she's just not right. And, um, and there are, when you sort of talk to, to my wife or to those many other people around me, everyone comes up with something else. Oh, I'm so stressed. Therefore, I'm so tired. Oh, no, it's my hormones. I go from menopause. Or it's this or that and that. And there are some tentative um, attempts to, to try a little bit. I'll try that. I'll try that. What do you make out of that? What is your take on things like that? And before we go there, tell us a bit your background, because you've got a fascinating background, how you actually got into that field. So let's start with the background first. Yeah, so whenever I was in chiropractic school, I was at a brain injury clinic where we worked with Navy SEALs, other special ops, NFL, NHL, you know, UFC athletes, as well as many patients who traveled from around the world to come and get care in Dallas is where I was at at that point in time. And as I was doing that, you know, they were doing really well. But with those that deal with head injuries and TBIs, you often have depression. You often have PTSD and anxiety. And the label almost tends to mean more than the TBI and the head injury that you have. It's like, oh, well, you're depressed. And next thing you know, you end up on multiple medications. Mm -hmm. And as a chiropractor, I couldn't do anything about it. And so I actually went back to nurse practitioner school to be able to help. And outside of that, some of the most common causes of depression are a low thyroid. And if your thyroid's off and that's not treated, you shouldn't be handed Prozac if that hasn't been evaluated. And on the other side, you shouldn't be on four different antidepressants at the same time and come in with tremors because that's a common side effect. <laughs> and then on the military side, you have these veterans that served you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan who've been a part of explosions and your brain has to tell your testes, hey, let's produce testosterone. And if that's not possible, do we expect them to have a good mood? Expect them to be able to get out of bed and have energy? No, it's not possible. If you don't produce the sex hormones you need, you will not have a good mood. And it was important to be able to provide that part of the care they needed too, because you really need a comprehensive approach to care. You can't pick your favorite part because if you do, you'll often chase it and you'll miss everything else that should be covered. 
Oh, beautifully said, man. Brother, you, you, you speak out of my soul uh, because I think that is the, the key problem is if you only have a hammer, then everything must look like a nail and you treat it like that. And that is the problem when in many, many branches of healthcare, there are very well-meaning people there, mm -hmm. but who only have been exposed to one aspect. For example, the osteopathy. There are certainly some people who are not as holistic as you and are purely thinking along the line of readjusting um, alignment and uh, releasing tension here and there and it makes perfect sense and i'm uh, please i'm i i have got an osteopath who does miracles uh, he, i just flowed out of his his place whenever i had a readjustment so and that is so beautiful so that is a core part of of working on your better you so no two ways around it but you're so right an osteopath can only do so much um especially when then other people are coming in well-meaning people like doctors mm -hmm. um who try to help you with your mood but don't maybe necessarily realize the the broader picture and maybe don't subscribe to that kind of care they might say, yeah, yeah, and by the way, you need to get out into the sunlight. And by the way, yeah, you better eat healthy. And then that's sort of the side sentence, and they've ticked that off um, mm -hmm. because they were focusing on the correct dose of the uh, psychiatric medication that you truly deserve to have at that moment in time. Let's not be silly. What I love, love about your approach is exactly that is what a good doctor does. A good doctor will rule out those things. So um, I always keep saying, please, guys, go to your doctor and be honest about what is going on. And then he hopefully will do thyroid function tests, vitamin tests, vitamin levels, uh, and will check out the common causes that might interfere with, with you. But you probably have come there with a symptom. So if people come to you with depression, well, a good doctor does a depression screening and check the diagnosis and then check the, the treatable causes for it. And then, okay, here's a tablet. That's, that's as far as it goes. So you, however, have started thinking wider and maybe by, by fate, you were in the right place at the right time to actually see all those, those very healthy individuals in theory Mm -hmm. who were actually broken. So when did it came clear to you that concussion might be the cause for so many case presentations, which really are a bit like chameleons, they take on any shape and color. When did that sort of happen, that realization? It happened when I was at the clinic because in school, they were always like, you know, the brain's the master system. It controls everything or is influenced by everything. Mm -hmm. And here were patients. Our average patient that came to that clinic had been to 15 to 20 different medical providers and had often struggled for five to 20 years. And so all of a sudden, everything I knew gr growing up was wrong. You know, I grew up, I played soccer, you know, had friends who played football and it was like, as long as you could go back to the sideline and you were speaking English <laughs> and you knew what country you lived in, you were going back in the game. And, Shit, yeah. and even if they made you stay out of the game, you went to your doctor and you begged them, like, can you give me a note so I can go right back yeah. to practice? Like you didn't want to miss any more than two days. And, and like many people, we don't think of concussions as this long-term issue. But then I'm here, we're evaluating brain health and patients are seeing results despite years of struggling. It's like, hey, you know what? This is real, like this really exists. And then there's a lot of research that actually supports it too. Because a lot of patients get frustrated because they go to their provider and they're like, well, it's been six months. This can't be from a concussion. <laughs> like, like, like a concussion <laughs> magically times out at a month or something like <laughs> <Exactly>. that. Exactly. <laughs> so true. So true. I had patients in my pain clinic who actually came and said, you know what? The doctor is wrong. Today, it's six months. So literally, they're looking at their clock. They told me in six months, I'm going to be fine. And look, he's lying. He's a failure. He's a... And you think, oh, my God, where were your expectations? Um, and maybe who stoked the fire the wrong way here? 
Very well said, man. Um, let's let's talk about the figures. I mean, how many people out there have had a uh, a brain scramble? Uh, a, uh, a and I make fun of it. Maybe I shouldn't. Uh, who has had a bang on the head, some trauma, some concussion, severe enough to affect their quality of life? Yeah, that's a pretty large number. You know, in the United States, TBI, traumatic brain injuries, are the number one cause of death and disability under the age of 44. Hmm. When you look at Canada, there was research done where they looked at chart notes and said, who should have been diagnosed that wasn't? 50% of the chart notes that were reviewed said these individuals actually had concussions based upon what happened and their current symptoms, but they, they weren't diagnosed. And then what, and then if you get the diagnosis, only 50% of those who are diagnosed even had a follow-up with any provider. It's not the right provider. It's just with like anyone, it could have even been a dermatologist was included in that list. And so it's this really big number. And in Israel more recently, it was 25% of kids weren't diagnosed right. And instead were given a diagnosis of ADD, ADHD, depression, anxiety, and insomnia. So if you magically get ADD, ADHD after a concussion or head injury, it's, it's a symptom. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that is so important to realize the we have got this beautiful 1.5 kilogram of of neuron neuron tissue up there and it is a highly 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 fine-tuned machine and it can take a lot of punishment and when we talk traumatic brain injury we talk trauma we talk typically done force trauma that mm -hmm. shakes you rattles you and often enough literally shakes the brain around the brain is 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 buffeted, uh, buffeted by by a fluid the csf and that that fluid is just sitting there and it's helping a bit but it also means that the brain can a little bit move and so therefore if suddenly you travel forward and meet something that is really really hard so your <laughs> skull stops the brain thinks hey hang on don't Donk, donk. So there's a bit of bouncing around in there. Um, that bouncing around is not very good for you. Uh, but let's be quite clear. There are many other uh, other issues then that can affect the brain. Um, the older we get, maybe our, our vascular perfusion is no longer so great. So the, the amount of oxygen and food that comes through your brain, through the blood vessels, might actually be just hanging in there, just you know, sort of maybe a year or two away from a stroke. Um, so cool. Now, if you have that brain that's already teetering at a brink, can you imagine that a little fall might equally suddenly materialize in a lot of symptoms. So it's not so uncommon that we see patients who have had not major trauma. They were not involved in, in explosions or their head was nearly taken off. No, they had just a fall and suddenly everything goes pear-shaped up there with memory, sleep, uh, mood, everything. And I think that is equally to say not, not every brain is the same. And while we like to believe that we are young at heart, many of us are not so young at brain. And so we are setting ourselves up to fail by our lifestyle. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the smoking, the lack of food, the, mal, the malnutrition that is unfortunately the norm for us. And you think, malnutrition, you're kidding me. You're talking Biafra children in Africa or you're talking Indian disasters. Oh, no. Uh, we'll talk about it because that is part and parcel of Spencer of, of looking the holistic way of things. But, you know, you don't need to have a major, major, major uh, trauma to actually have a traumatic brain injury. So it's really important that we can spell that out. Because I think that's the biggest myth there. Um, and so, no, there will be so many more people out there than we'd like to believe. Spencer, how do you, how, when, when does your Sherlock Holmes come out? When does your suspicion rise? When, when do you think about, hmm, has this guy actually had a brain injury? What triggers your suspicion? 
Yeah. So I get a lot of people that are acute, but I want to talk about the people who are chronic. So these are patients who come in five, 10 years after the injury, and they often don't even bring it up. Here's what they come in and complain about. Fatigue, brain fog, problems with sleeping, mood changes, you know, problems with word finding, and, and even chronic neck pain. And they're like, I've done physical therapy and my neck and stuff just never fully got better. And I'm like, what happened? Well, I was in a car accident or I had a fall. I didn't hit my head though. I was like, so you didn't have a concussion? Well, no, I just thought I had a whiplash. Okay, so let's go into the myths. You do not need to hit your head to have a concussion. Our brain is soft, it's mushy. So when it hits the barrier inside, right, that's protecting it, that's really hard. So a whiplash mechanism can and will give you a concussion. So just because you've been told you have a whiplash does not mean you don't have a concussion and you actually have fatigue, brain fog, sleep issues, any of those, like three of those, you probably actually took a concussion that just wasn't diagnosed. Very good point. On the flip side, um, often enough, headaches and uh, brain symptoms can be caused by the cervical spine. How many patients have I seen who dramatically improved their symptoms once their neck was looked after proper um, with mild osteopathy, with mild realignment, with the right strengthening, and suddenly they were a million miles better. So it cuts both ways. So maybe we should look at whiplash more as a marker of paying attention to that whole unit up there rather than say, oh, look there, that's where it hurts. Uh, rather say, okay, that's actually a two quadrant disease from your nipples upwards. Mm -hmm. Let's deal with that. Very nicely said. Okay, cool. So we said already a bit about the, the symptoms. And if you look at it, they are actually quite vague. And the problem is when something is vague, in our body, we don't recognize it as such, is it? So could it be that there are so many people out there who have all these symptoms and never even realize that they have them? Absolutely. So I get a lot of patients who come in thinking they have a thyroid issue. They're like, look, my fatigue is bad. I went and had my thyroid checked. I just don't think they ran all the right labs. Mm. And so I'll look at it, but I always check people's brain because I know it's the least likely thing to be evaluated in healthcare. Mm. Like, like they're not going to look at your brain unless you have a stroke or you have fractures. Outside of that, your brain is routinely going to be ignored. Because and in all fairness, it is a big black box. Um, mm -hmm. Up until the last maybe 10, 20 years, we didn't have any, any fancy imaging to actually look into that black box. And now whilst we have got imaging, um, it, it's not necessarily so clear to say, well, what do the things that we see on a picture? actually mean in real life on the flip side if we don't see anything on the picture does that rule out that you have got a concussion well no no there's so there are many questions with regards to imaging and the brain etc so it's maybe understandable so i need to protect a little bit my medical colleagues um and me in in turn because ultimately what the hell can i do um and the other thing is, of course, the money. Show me the money. Because a brain scan here in New Zealand, an MRI, sets you back about $900,000. Um, if that is not clearly by uh, due to trauma or due to a damn good reason, well, that's $1,000 for the, for the patient to pay. Well, that rules out quite a significant sliver of our society. It's not just a sliver. It's a thick bunch of mm -hmm. our society for which $1,000 are simply not they are struggling to put food on the table. And unfortunately, it's often those people who work in forestry, who work in manual labor, etc., who get the head injuries. So therefore, we are, we are fighting a losing battle as doctors here. So I think that's, that's just too late a scene. That does not mean to say that these patients are not significantly affected in their quality of life by their symptoms and might have chronic headaches that then, again, uh, further threatens their livelihood because they can't actually go to work because their migraine is just so brutal um, since their uh, head injury, um, whatever, their, their tens or hundreds of head injuries. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I don't want people chasing imaging anyways, mm. because the majority of concussions, 99.9%, your imaging is always going to be normal. Exactly. Because the imaging is meant to look for bleeds. It's meant to look for fractures. It's not meant to look for these subtle, smaller areas of damage. Like, like you can't do that with regular imaging. So I don't want you to think if you're listening to this, like, I think I've got a concussion. I need to get a scan because your scan is likely going to be normal. It just doesn't mean your function's normal. So there's a way to evaluate your function that is much more valuable than the scan. Shoot. What do you do? So whenever I evaluate brain function, your eyes are a major window into the health of the brain. So if you're watching any sports and you see someone's got a likely concussion, you'll see the trainer runs out there and like, okay, follow my thumb. And they'll do that. What I do is I actually have goggles that people wear and I record exactly what's happening with their eye movements because we can really map out your entire brain. And for that reason, I actually use eye movement testing as a baseline screening so that way, if you do sustain a possible concussion, I can say, here's your recording before, here's your recording now. Is there an issue? So that's, that's one part of a concussion evaluation. Part two is your balance gets impacted. You've got your vestibular system, so your balance routinely gets impacted as well. So I prefer using a platform where I record your balance. How much do you sway? So we've got a re reproducible way to do it. Now, if you don't have that, you can do this at home. Make your kids stand there with their feet together, eyes open, eyes closed, one foot in front of the other, eyes open, eyes closed, and record how they do before they start a sport. And then if they do take a possible injury, and you don't have to take a concussion, even just routine hits to the head that huh. occur in American football or other things like that where there's just that constant impacts can alter the brain and you want to say is it safe for my kid to really keep playing huh. right and should they start the next season or not so that's that's two parts and the last part you can actually go into is using brain waves so it's called a quantitative electroencephalogram typically eegs are used for seizures but there's so much more that you can do with those than just seizure activity because your brain waves ultimately tell you about brain function. Hmm. And are we seeing a slowing in the brain as a result of head injuries? So there's, so there's cool. those three layers that you can really look at. Cool. I want to play. I want to have, <laughs> and, but it's tricky. It's tricky. I've had an achillotendinitis um, a few years ago and my balance in the past, I was really, really good in balance. Uh, I was, was doing actually circus arts. So I, I, for a year I started circus and I could walk a tightrope and stuff like that. Cool. And then just for shits and giggles, after, uh, after I healed, I tried to foot <laughs> the feet in front of each other. I've <laughs> It was crap. <laughs> so, and it I was one side was clearly much worse than the other. So there was uh, still clear that actually I had problems down there. Now you could say, have I had traumatic brain injuries? I probably have. So yes. So could that be uh, equally a part and parcel of it? Yes. So none of these tests are are hundred percent conclusive. And if you're just a bit more wobbly, then you can't just immediately say, oh, okay, I've got a brain injury. But, but that's where someone like you, Spencer, is coming in, who actually put all those puzzle pieces together and knows how much value you have to add to that piece of information. And a little something you say in a side sentence might suddenly make us go, ah, now there is the hook that we were hunting for. Mm -hmm. And so it is, that is where it is important to work together with your provider and actually really spend some time and be open and honest. Yep, exactly. Because I can't tell you how many times I have patients who come in with, once again, chronic fatigue, mm. and they don't make a big deal of it. But as I'm going through their tests, I'm like, are you really sure you never took a concussion? Well, I had a fall 10 years ago. And I'm like, that's what caused it all. Mm. But it's because as a society worldwide, we minimize concussions so much, we usually just brush it out of our entire memory 
And I have to ask people three to five times. And they're like, oh, you're right. Or else the patient comes back in for a follow-up appointment. They're like, so after I left last time, I went and asked my parents or my siblings. And <laughs> yeah, apparently I took plenty of hits uh-huh. and I just don't even remember. And that's a bit, a bit uh, a clue in its own right, because the memory in its own right is often impaired. So short-term memory, long-term memory, there are different versions of those mm-hmm. memories. But uh, you might struggle with one more than the other. And that might actually be a symptom of the, the whole symptom complex of, that you're facing and that you were never aware of. So it is a tricky one. You clearly, clearly need a team um, to to uh, just help you, at least one informed person who can work with you and actually uh, say, okay, yes, you have got a traumatic brain injury. But making the diagnosis is only one thing. <laughs> Then what the hell do you do about it? And I guess that's the big difference there. Because when you go to many doctors, they say, well, concussion. Yep. Okay, we might even put it as a diagnosis on your medical chart. And now what? I don't know. Maybe shall be sent you to a, a psychologist, maybe help you a bit there. Or you should take that drug that helps the brain function. These are the sort of single modality kind of, oh, maybe let's try that. What do you think about that? Is that something that, that helps people in a reliable way? Single modalities, no. You know, those are the people I get who come in years later and they're struggling mm. because it doesn't address what actually happens in the brain following a concussion. There is no medication that does it. Mm. So when we look at what happens in the brain, there's really four big things. One, your brain doesn't connect right. That's easiest evaluated as we talked about with the mm. eyes, the balance and the brain waves. But next is your brain doesn't produce and use energy the same way. That's why a lot of people you meet who deal with ongoing concussion issues, their fatigue is horrendous. You have a multitask on a computer or anything else, and their energy just starts tanking on the midday, and and they just don't have great endurance because our brain uses more energy than any other organ we have. It uses 25 to 30% of all of the energy, despite being super small comparatively to our entire body weight. Next, which is the probably the most important thing is you don't, your immune system in your brain changes when you take these head injuries. And that's why one concussion actually doubles your risk of Alzheimer's because of those immune changes. And that's why we see the mood and everything else. And lastly, you get impaired blood flow and oxygen in your brain for at least a year following a concussion. So there's really these multi layers. And even with my patients, if they won't do all, if if they're not willing to address those four parts, if they all need to be addressed, they don't get the best recovery. And that's so true, so true. I had uh, a number of brain specialists uh, on this show, and uh, one one dementia prevention specialist. Her, she called her talk or her interview, Dementia is a Choice. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, now that's an interesting take on things. Um, but uh, you, I see you nodding, yeah, exactly. So what, if you were, okay, God forbid, you were the victim of an assault, someone king hits you on uh, tonight on the road and you have maybe two minutes blackout and then ooh, a headache like a like a you know not a nice thing so what what would you do what how would you go about that yeah i want to first focus on what you should be doing at home there's there's the fancy stuff that can be done at offices like mine and others But first, you got to focus on what you can do at home. And there's really four big things. How you eat, how you sleep, how you stress, and how you exercise. So make sure you get your sleep. If, if you don't sleep, the garbage man doesn't show up to actually take away those inflammatory chemicals in the brain. And it's also where you repair. So make sure you sleep. I don't care if you need melatonin, you need Epsom soaks, 
you do valerian chamomile teas like cbd whatever it is you've got to sleep to recover and you may be sleeping a lot after your concussion it may be 10 12 hours and that's okay that's an easier recovery than someone who only sleeps two hours Hmm. because having insomnia is also very common after concussions Hmm. so sleep two eat make sure you're getting good foods get rid of the processed foods get rid of the junk like you need good fats your brain is made up of good fats wild caught fish grass-fed beef avocados pecans walnuts lots of good fiber you know get some fruit get rid of a lot of the extra grains and stuff that spikes your blood sugar do not have blood sugar spikes that will make your recovery harder. Okay, so there's those. Also stress, get rid of the extra stress in your life. We were never meant to be underneath the gun 24 seven. Like that damages the brain and the part of the brain most susceptible to stress is the part responsible for learning and memory. Okay. And lastly is exercise is one of the best ways to help recover, but don't push through your symptoms. Hmm. Like if you got a sprained ankle, would you keep jumping on it if it hurts? No. Hmm. So if you get a headache from what you're doing, whether it's trying to do a job, you're trying to exercise, you've got to pull back. Don't Hmm. take Tylenol or ibuprofen to help with your headache because it doesn't change the fact that you're actually damaging your brain more. Hmm. So it's about keeping it and respecting your limits. Super important. Those are four big areas to focus on at home. And then outside of that, a provider that's got extra training can guide you through higher level stuff. Having said that, those things that you have just described are so basic and so simple that we often neglect them. And you sort of uh, think, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, that's healthy. And I anyhow eat healthy, you know. I mean, last Tuesday I even had a salad. Hey, look, I mean, that's healthy. Um, so we're not talking about the odd, the odd green leaf there. We are talking about actually looking in depth into what you eat. And that will be a journey in its own right. But it's a beautiful journey because you can actually explore and, and uh, change your life forever. So I'm not talking about a specific diet that I want you to go on. Diet is bullshit, okay? No, I want you to live a life that is so beautiful that that you just can't get enough of it. In order to do so, you need to feed your brain in the right way. And a donut is probably not providing you all the things that you need. It might be a beautiful soul food for you right now. I guess what? Your blood sugar goes up like a Polaris missile and it crashes down in 20, 30 minutes. Like, wow! Can you imagine that you feel really good? And then that your depression will be out of this world. Could that be? Could that be? Yes. Guess what? You could go to somewhere and order a nice rice dish. Okay. Rice is good. Rice is healthy, isn't it? Well, unfortunately, rice also spikes your blood sugar. So what about brown rice? Much less of a, of a, of a, of a spike. So f- learn about the foods that you're eating and honor yourself by spending a bit of time on the food preparation and not just take the cellophane off whatever is in the packet that does is not food preparation okay it is learn how to cook again and learn how to prepare your food in a, in a simple way get as much fiber in as possible and uh, there are ways of disguising all these beautiful things so it can become a game of you learning to cook and and actually having something that you prepared which gives you wow i did that so there's this bright and there's this feeling good you've connected with yourself you you did mindfulness as you were doing it you stepped out of your red race you were probably not on the screen to look something up all those good things how cool is that so that's just the start what role does hydration play um for the brain yeah you've got to make sure you're hydrated because it's you know, not only your kidneys and your vascular system, but we often forget our vascular system is our brain. Like our brain is loaded with blood vessels everywhere. So if you've got vascular disease, it's you've got brain disease basically is what ultimately can happen. So you've got to make sure you're hydrated because if you're not, 
Now, if you take a concussion, you're more likely going to have issues. Same thing with everything we've talked about with eating, like everything we talked about that you should do after a concussion, you should do it before a concussion anyways, because your health going into any injury determines how you come out of it. Like if you go into surgery, you want good success coming out, go in as healthy as you can be. Absolutely true. And that's exactly it. If you think about it, there's so many things that you can already do. And you, I, I postulate the sheer fact that you listen to my show means you have gone through a lot of shit in your life. And maybe alcohol has played a role. Maybe it's just the, all the mental health issues that I talk about um, ring a bell with you. And that's why you're here. Educated guess is you had some good wax on your head. An educated guess is that your lifestyle that you lived so far has probably rather rather impaired your brain, to say the least, rather than actually nourished it and, 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 and helped it. So you can right now, you can make changes. As you're listening to that, you can have a glass of water that you drink and that you hydrate. That's as simple as that. Hey, how easy is that? And there are so many other things. There, there, you can take little steps. You either can work on your recovery or you can work on your relapse as far as addiction is concerned. You can work on your brain getting healthier or you can work on your brain getting sicker. It is your choice. And that is so beautiful. Spencer, it's, it's, I'm, I'm so encouraged by you looking at those basic things as the core, funda- core foundation uh, to upon which to build things. Because many of my patients came to me and said, oh, I want a spinal cord stimulator. I want, uh, I don't know, something that they read somewhere about the newest, hottest technology, deep brain stimulation, put something into my brain that will cure me. Yeah, brother, um, no, no. <laughs> so those things are, can play a role. So let's, let, we have later foundation. Look after yourselves, and there's so much there. We only talked about nutrition, hydration. The exercise uh, is so important. Your uh, your reduction of inflammation through multiple ways, including switching on your parasympathetic nervous system, the breathing exercises, the meditation, all those things. So let's lay that as the foundation. But then for some people, that is not a cure. If you had a Navy SEAL who uh, was just uh, hit by an IED and has um, has a significant brain injury, yeah, you can't just say eat a few greens and have a few extra walnuts. And that won't do the trick. What are the next levels above the good foundation? What else can can an informed provider guide you towards? Yeah, so we always got to say, what are factors moving you towards recovery and pulling you away from it? So I always start with labs. What's happening in your blood work? What's happening with your hormones, your thyroid, your blood sugar? If you're a diabetic and you want someone to fix your brain, that is very, very hard Hmm. because that diabetes damages the brain. Hmm. And it's like, wait, so you want me to connect something that is highly inflamed? Inflammation pulls apart connections in the brain. So really comprehensive labs, and it means going the next level. It's not just the basic labs that are typically done, but going in further. So that's one of the things. Two, we talked about a lot of the testing that I do. Get that testing done, and then you can get therapy to rehab your eye movements, your balance, some of your cognitive function. So that's that part. I also like using hyperbaric oxygen therapy for head injuries. Next, you know, I've got a lot of different tools and it's about saying, which ones do people need? There's what's called transcranial magnetic stimulation, which is used in depression and anxiety, but the part of the brain they use for depression is also used with concussions and see good results with. And then lastly, another layer I can even go is using something called ketamine. It's used in pain, but it also has very profound antidepressant benefits And I see fantastic results with people dealing with past traumas, Mm. PTSD, where they're able to unwind years of trauma Mm. and to move on with their life. Because that's what I see on the head injury side with alcohol abuse and any other substance is their brain isn't healthy. Mm. 
And if your brain isn't healthy, your ability to handle a stressful situation and say, no, I don't need this, hmm. it goes down. That's very, very traumatic, and and you've you've raised so many issues there. God, we could talk, I could talk now three hours with you on very on all these kind of things. Uh, what you don't know about me is I'm a hyperbaric physician as well, so I have studied hyperbaric medicine. Um, and it's interesting that you mentioned the role of of hyperbaric oxygen. For those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, hyperbaric oxygen is that you basically place a patient um, into a uh, metal chamber, which often enough looks like a living room. So you're walking into this metal living room and sitting down, and now you uh, the pressure inside this chamber will be increased similar as if you were to dive. So you're basically, if you were to go into some beautiful resort and learn how to scuba dive, well, you're going to 10 meters, that's one atmosphere, uh, 20 meters, another atmosphere, etc. Hyperbaric oxygen means under controlled circumstances, you're brought to levels such as 14 meters, or depends on where you are around about the, uh, the world, different uh, treatment uh, is there. And uh, then you breathe oxygen. And under pressure, this oxygen, if administered safely and if you're the right person for it, can actually do traumatic things. It can grow new blood vessels into areas that are uh, denuded, that uh, you know there's barely a, a red cell coming through and giving some oxygen, and suddenly things can improve. And there are clear indications for that. Um, so worldwide, they have the, the specialists set down and, okay, that's what you do it for, the diver injury, the chronic wounds that don't heal, etc. Head injuries were always sort of fringe. Has that changed in the last 10 years, 15 years? From a consensus standpoint, it's still fringe because not everyone benefits. Mm. And, I, and I think that's why it is fringe. But one of the things I'll often ask patients is if you go into higher elevation, how do you do? So if you're in a place where you've got mountains by you and you can have an elevation change of 2000 feet, mm. if you do worse in higher elevation, I can predict at a very high level, you are going to love hyperbaric oxygen therapy uh, because uh, just by going up a little bit, you decrease the amount of oxygen you get and you're that sensitive that you need it. And so not everyone needs it. But nice. there are those that do. And I think if they really broke the research down mm. a little bit more, they could say we could identify a subset of people that really do benefit. Mm. And let's exclude those that don't. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. That is that is actually a very good practical approach to uh, providing hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Um, equally, there is we are talking about chronic diseases. And chronic diseases, you often take for granted. So therefore, you don't do much about them. Mm -hmm. And we have seen that in a study with hyperbaric oxygen therapy and cerebral palsy. So children were randomized to either get a sham therapy, uh, to either get treatment with hyperbaric oxygen therapy or no treatment, but extensive physiotherapy um, and things like that. And then they ran the study and they were gobsmacked because both arms improved dramatically. So was it the hyperbaric oxygen therapy or was it now actually um, that parents gave a damn again about their child and didn't just park them in front of the telly for the rest of the day, but actually interacted and do those kind of things. So that was an interesting outcome out of that study where the researchers were not 100% sure of what is actually, why do these people get better? And it is probably multifactorial, yet you're quite right. There will be a subset of people where hyperbaric oxygen treats the underlying problem uh, in the brain where there's just sort of the odd oxygen molecule coming through. And if you suddenly increase that, that uh, difference between healthy tissue that the body can measure, okay, there's this much oxygen, mm -hmm. and there's the scar, the damaged, there's, well, bugger all oxygen. Um, and often enough, there's this kind of slow gradient and the body can't pick that up. And then now you do hyperbaric oxygen and suddenly this gradient gets much bigger and your, your body says, oh, oh, there's a problem. We need to heal that. 
So I love it that you explore that. And when I say fringe, get, don't get me wrong, there's so many um, clubs, high-level football clubs, uh, rugby clubs, uh, those mm -hmm. kind of things, who have got their own chambers. So because if, if one of their players is out, well, that's a million dollars or whatever they, they, they judge that time. So in they go. Are there more data? Is there more data coming out about that? Um, about the use of hyperbaric oxygen uh, therapy outside of, of bigger centers that specialize in the more hardcore things? I haven't necessarily seen a ton. You know, on the concussion side, it really is mixed. There's some that's like, oh, it does help, and there's others that it's not. But it really goes back to, you know, I've reviewed four big things that happen with concussions. And hyperbaric oxygen may not be enough on its own. And you've got to layer on another mm. therapy. And that's Absolutely. one of the big weaknesses in yep. research is we try to find one variable. But for anyone that watches any sport, mm. it's about the team. Mm -hmm. like, like, let's make sure the team is working right, not just one person. Mm. And if we did that with research, we could really go to the next level with helping people out because even with the diabetic where it's approved mm. right for wounds that aren't healing you know the diabetic's not going to get the improvement from hyperbaric alone if they won't change their diet beautiful like, 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 if beautifully said yes no, absolutely. So, no, so we, we've got a little time delay. So we both try to talk at the same time. And we are both passionate about the subject. So, so dear viewer out there, dear listener, forgive us that we are sort of having a little conflict there. Um, it's not a conflict of interest or a conflict of our positions. It is a conflict of Zoom. <laughs> No, Spencer, you're a good man and you're so right. And you've got such a lovely balanced view on things. You're not ruling things out, but you're saying, hey, I have got uh, a clientele here who, ha who are desperate and who have been searching around for 10, 15 years. And they are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And the, maybe the, the classic treatments provided through medical providers might not be sufficient because it's too targeted, it's too focused, too selective, and maybe, uh, maybe how shall I say that, maybe guided by the wrong principles. The first mm -hmm. principle in medicine is rule out bad things, and then that's good, and now already a surgeon, that's the end of his job. <laughs> Sorry, can't cut it out. Okay, I don't know what to do with you. It must be in your head. So, okay, maybe surgeons are not the right people to talk with you. <laughs> so, okay, a general practitioner, okay, he will know pretty good about the foundation, but he, he might then lack the interest or the knowledge to guide you further. So he is well-meaning, but he has not the training in how to deal, assess, and then treat chronic uh, concussions. Um, he, even if he knows what to do, he might, you and him, he might be living in an area where you don't have all this expertise immediately available to you. So there are a whole number of reasons where why you might be struggling and why your journey towards success might be a bit longer than you maybe would have liked to. But the past does not equal the future. And with modern modern ways of communication, such as Zoom, you've got suddenly Spencer here. Spencer is a man who, who is passionate about it, who's, who's keen, who wants to, to live his life to the fullest and, and extrapolating from that. He wants his, his patients to live their life to the fullest. So how much can you do the work that you're doing? How much can that be done remotely? Or do people need to travel to you? Yeah, because of state laws, I can only practice within my state or other places where I'm licensed. Ah. So most of the patients that I see, they fly in from other states to come in. But there's other providers like me in other parts of the country yeah. who provide the therapies. And it's important to understand that if your provider says they don't know what else to do, keep looking. There's different thoughts. No one owns medicine. As much as I do, I don't own it all. I've had patients that I couldn't help who go and do something else. I was like, great, it helped you. I don't understand why, but I'm glad it did. Exactly. And it's important to understand with the concussion side, they don't teach about concussions in medical school. Uh -huh. like, like it's so lightly skimmed over. Yep. In nurse practitioner school, it's not taught about either. Mm -hmm. I worked on a you know, on a stroke unit, we never talked about concussions. 
So if you feel your provider doesn't understand you, that's okay. Because like we, one of the worst things we do in medicine is we expect our primary care provider to have the answer to everything. Mm, And, and it's not even possible. Like it's not possible. They're doing the best they can, but you've got to branch out and they may not even know who to send you to. Exactly. Now, certainly here in New Zealand, there are not many places um, that uh, could provide that. Even neurologists, um, neurologists are the the doctors that specify in the brain diseases. Um, I had some rather mixed mixed results when I sent patients with head injuries mm-hmm. to to those doctors because they do some fancy testing and then says yes you've got a brain injury have a good day boom great so so bottom line is even if you think you're at the right place and if you don't don't get a systematic approach provided to you where you are part of the treatment then I can probably predict that you're not getting the best outcome out of whatsoever. You can't just go somewhere and say, doctor, fix me. That won't work with chronic diseases. Let it be Mm -hmm. chronic pain, let it be traumatic brain injury, let it be your diabetes or your asthma. doesn't matter. Um, You need to pull your finger out and actually get on with it. Take Mm -hmm. control and do whatever you can do. Okay, you can't just say, I want to be fit and now I will buy into the gym, but I will never go. Just, you know, just just the membership in the gym will be just fine. So you guys need to to take control there. And that uh, starts today, really. So take action now. You have taken action already by listening this far into the interview. I strongly, strongly recommend you uh, research what is happening around you. Start with your GP, your family physician. He can do many of the things that Spencer has been mentioning and then take it from there and really do a bit more research out there. Spencer, the the group of which you're working and and your own practice, uh, are there some resources there on the internet that people can tap into? Or is there an organization? Um, Is there, is there, what, what resources are out there for people to learn more about traumatic brain injury? Yeah, so I've got a good bit of stuff on my website, idahobrainandbody.com. There's also different sources to try to find providers. So one of the groups I'm a part of is called IAFNR, International Association of Functional Neurology and Rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. So it's more of based upon, hey, let's evaluate you from a functional standpoint. Because like you said, on the medical neurologist side, one of the first providers I worked with was a medical neurologist. He's like, look, I'm great at Parkinson's. I'm great. He knew where he was great. He's like concussions. He admitted, he was like, we don't have much to do with it other than we can give you medications for your migraines. We give Mm. you medications for your depression, but it's really no different than what your GP would do anyways. Mm. Oh, what an insight. Now that's rare to hear. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yep. And he admitted it. Like he knew where his limitations were Mm. and also look and say, is there a vestibular therapist and realize that you need all of it evaluated and treated. So it may take a team. You may need a vestibular therapist. You may need a vision therapist. You may need someone to do EMDR with you, which is used in PTSD and trauma. And you may need, you know, you've, you've got to put together a team every now and then you can find it all under one roof. Other times you can't, but know that there are different resources out there and, and really advocate for yourself. There's a lot of different support groups on Facebook and other social media for brain injuries and find the ones that are about finding answers, not the ones that just get sucked into how miserable their life is. Cause those that get sucked into that, they never get better. You know, I, I understand there are those that have, who, who do get jumped, right. Who are in these severe car accidents that are not their faults, but you can't control that. Don't approach it from being a victim. I've never had someone who viewed themselves as a victim who ever got better. Mm. You've got it. Sorry, that's very, very true. I was uh, just trying to to hone in on that. Now you got to do, you got to to take control. 
Sorry, yeah, no, I was, I was, again, there was this little delay there. No, I, I, I so want everyone to understand out there that the past does not equal the future. Whatever mm -hmm. your past was, this was then. Yes, you were the victim of an assault, a victim of a trauma. You were a victim, but that was then. Now you're a survivor, at least. And because you're now taking action, you will become a thriver. You will change your life. You have got the power. You have got the ability to make these choices every single second in a day. You can choose to go one way or the other way. Completely up to you guys. You can choose to look up Spencer Zimmerman's uh, work and look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast because I've got all his details there. Um, so what stops you looking that up? And that's the first action you have taken. And then you have had a glass of water. Well, that's action number two. And later on, you might actually say no to the muffin and maybe have a banana or maybe something else. And then tonight you might actually say, woo, okay, shitloads of veggies and some beautiful salmon. Um, thank you very much. That ticks my, my, um, my list. So these are many, many decisions you have taken today which you are no longer the victim. You are actually now taking control. How cool is that? And especially for those people out there who have been feeling powerless and helpless, suddenly that's a different story. You are, you're coming out, you're, you're, you're getting off the ground and you're dusting yourself back up. And that's, that's cool. That's so cool. Um, Spencer, what do you think, where will, where will, your profession or your focus be in five years time what is on the horizon as far as the the management of traumatic brain injury is concerned are there any potentially exciting new developments out there yeah so there's been a lot of growth you know one of the technologies i mentioned earlier was transcranial magnetic simulation while it's used for depression there's actually a lot of research on it in strokes with helping people improve their limb function following strokes. So that's one of the big things. Outside of that, virtual reality. Yes, I understand people are playing games with virtual reality, but there's a lot of research going into using virtual reality as a way to help those who are dealing with strokes, Parkinson's, traumatic brain injuries to gain better function. And the reason why it works is because while they are wearing it, they get to visualize themselves actually using that movement. And when you visualize it, you then, your brain connects differently. It's, it's why you see athletes all the time, like in basketball, they'll pretend they're doing free throws. Like, even though the ball's on the ground, it's because they're priming their brain. They're already connecting those pathways. They're visualizing what they want to happen. And you can do the same thing. Right? You should visualize where you want to go because you're not just visualizing. You are literally having chemicals released in your brain that's actually acting as if it's happening to a certain level. So virtual reality is probably one of the biggest things coming out in the future that hopefully we're going to see a lot more of in the brain injury world. Beautiful. And we've seen that in the pain world with complex regional pain syndrome mm -hmm. and mirror box therapy, um, where we essentially uh, put a mirror around or a, a box around where mirrors on the outside, where you look down on your leg, the leg that is often shriveled and weird and odd, you're not so nice leg, and that is sort of encased in this box. Um, and you look down and on the outside of the mirror, so you see actually the good leg, and the, the not so good leg, but the, the reflection of the good leg in it. And mm -hmm. suddenly when you start moving, your movement gets better, the pain reduces, etc. You're actually tricking your brain. Um, it's, you're biohacking your brain, for the lack mm -hmm. of a better word. And now that is cool shit. So we have seen that for years and decades in the chronic pain management world. Um, and now it's lovely, it's actually logical to see the same happening, uh, trying that on a bigger scheme up here, um, biohacking and convincing the brain to do things and to believe things and therefore work on those things that might not be real, 
like virtual reality. Who cares? Who cares if the outcome is the same? Absolutely, I love that. But guys, don't go out there uh, without laying the good foundation. Whilst you're investigating um, future treatments uh, and uh, the, the exciting stuff, 99% of the work will be in your foundations. It will be in going out there, practicing, using your body and, and establishing new habits that change your life towards the better. And they will help for your brain injury, but they will also help for so many other parts. And it's cumulative interest that you get. So you, you, you get the feel-good factor, you get improvements here, there, your aerobic uh, uh, abilities go up because you're more out there, your vitamin D has gone up because you're more out in the sun. Um, so many things that work so together as a complex mesh. You, often it's hard to, to predict what one little thing will do. Probably not so much, but if you now do little things on all those foundations and build them stronger, Wow, where will you end up? Which kind of superhuman being will you be? And is actually your brain injury the catalyst that you needed to realize that maybe you have not living, been living your life to the full, full potential? So is there maybe a, a silver lining in that? So just food for thought. And Spencer, you're an amazing man. You're, you have literally dedicated your life so far towards, towards that understanding and, and helping people who were maybe just left at the sidelines and say, yeah, well, I can't do much about you. Give me the next guy where I can do something about. Um, and I, for that, I commend you. For that, I, um, I'm grateful that people like you are out there who are changing lives uh, in ways that maybe in the past that would have never happened. So thank you so much for the work you're doing. Please do not give up because no doubt it can be sometimes very frustrating, your work. How do you deal with the frustrations? How do you deal when you have been working too hard and you just say, you have got problems, I tell you. No, I tell you about problems. <laughs> um, can, you, can you look after yourself the way that you ask your patients to look after themselves? Yeah, you. for me, you have to. You have to be congruent. I can't ask my patients to eat healthy if I'm not going to eat healthy. I can't ask them to <laughs> prioritize their sleep because if not, like, I don't want to be the doctor who's like, hey, I help strokes while I'm the next one in line to have a stroke, you know? <laughs> Touché. Touché. And, and I'm also picky on which patients I let come in mm. because life is too short for me to have patients because we've all had patients that we took who we, we thought we could help them, but they weren't willing to do what they needed. And then every time they come in, we're like, oh, it's so-and-so again. Mm. And we know they're going to come in, whine and complain. And mm. we're going to say, yes, but have you done anything we've asked you to do yet? And then it's always a no. Mm. And you just get on this merry-go-round. And I'm just like, you know what? Life is too short to do this. Mm. Either you let me help you and guide you, or I'd prefer to have an empty clinic personally because <laughs> I've got a family I need to go home to. <laughs> Exactly. Because it drives me nuts if I can't help someone yeah. and the patients that I can't help that really want to be helped I think about all the time hmm. and I only want space in my brain for those individuals I don't want space for those that are self-sabotaging their care hmm. so I, I've had to make that decision to be very selective and I think that is the right thing to do there is um it is a partnership that you go into as a doctor-patient relationship. It's a partnership that's not just one person giving, 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 and the other person just taking. No, it doesn't work like that, especially when it comes to chronic diseases. So it's so beautiful to hear your common sense approach, um, because otherwise, as a, as a doctor, as a healthcare provider, you end up so quickly in burnout country. It's no longer funny. And that is a complete different story that we could talk. Maybe we need to do a few regular talks, the two of us, and just have a good winch. <laughs> Spencer Zimmerman, an amazing man. So, guys, if you if if you thought, ah, okay, what he says, 
makes a lot of sense, even if he can't immediately treat you to the restrictions of, of being a provider in a certain state. Um, but that does not mean to say you cannot actually start learning and start a journey maybe with him. Um, so there you go. Go out there. Look down there in the description. Uh, tell us the name of your clinic again, please. It's Idaho Brain and Body Institute. Mm. Which is actually a beautiful name, Brain and Body, because they are, we, we sort of sometimes try to sort of try to tease things apart but it's actually the the meshing together and if you look at the foundations the foundations that you're laying that we've discussed were so important and they will help the brain no no doubt they will mm -hmm. also help the body tremendous amounts because your body knows how to heal itself you just need to give it a chance and give it the tools um that it needs and exercise sleep nutrition hydration and then a few sprinkling of, of beautiful things across there. Hey, you have no idea where you end up. Spencer, thank you so much for coming onto my show. Thank you so much for, for, um, for making this world a bit of a better place. One intervention, one interview at a time for that. I'm incredibly grateful to you. Thanks for having me. It's been great to do this today. You guys out there look after yourself and I mean it live with passion. Bye.